Thanks, Ant. Uh, Luke, Luke chapter 15 is a very well-known story. Uh, anyone heard this story before? I think we, we did a, a book, <laughs> uh, Tim Keller, The Prodigal God, we did it as a church. So I have the, the privilege of uh, tr- trying to preach to you a text that Tim Keller's already preached to you. So wish me luck. But have you ever lost something and then been super excited when you found it? <laughs> Um, sometimes in your jeans, you might find a $50 note. It's like, yes, where did that come from? But you didn't even know it was lost. Um, I, I had a friend who uh, got married, and on his honeymoon, he went surfing, and he lost his wedding ring in the ocean. Now, if you know anything about searching for things in the ocean, it's, it's unlikely to return to you, isn't it? He just started panicking and diving down, down, and after that, he found it in, in the sand. Like, his, you know, that's, that's a miracle, right? <laughs> and he was very, very excited. Needless to say, he could go uh, back to his new wife and say, I haven't lost my ring. I found it. <laughs> super, super excited, <laughs> super pleased about finding it. But um, there is a beautiful joy in finding something that you've lost, especially if you know it's lost. If you didn't know where it was and uh, it was precious to you, it was important, and all of a sudden you go, oh, it's back. That's amazing. And kind of these three stories highlight that, um, way, the way that God views us and the way that God loves us and the way He has compassion on us and how He longs for us to come back to Him. The, the amazing thing is that God made us for Himself. It's to, we ought to be with Him. It's the best version of life. It's the most... Uh, it's like how you were made. You know, if you, if, you, if you make something, you normally have a purpose for it. If you make a, uh, a kind of a bow and arrow and you put an arrow in it, that arrow is made for the bow, right? The whole thing works together like that. If you take a random stick and you put it in there, it just doesn't work. If you try to put that arrow into a, some other kind of weapon, it, it doesn't work. If you put it into a gun and try to shoot it, it would just not work at all. And the point is God made us for himself. We work best, life works best, everything works when we are in Him and with Him. And then God has this incredible joy and compassion of welcoming us, but it's also a great joy and wholeness for ourselves. It's the reason we were made. So let's have a look at this text. It starts off with um, a little interaction with the Pharisees, and what's going on is they're grumbling, and we see the reason why they're grumbling. It says the tax collectors... uh, and sinners were drawing near to God, or drawing near to Jesus, rather. And Jesus rejoices when sinners come near. Jesus is loving it. The sinners and tax collectors are loving it as well. They want to hear from Jesus. They are drawing near to Him. Not all, uh, not all the people were excited about this. The Pharisees didn't like it, and they start to grumble. It says, um, this man receives sinners. Uh, he's receiving sinners and eating with them. He's even hanging out. More than just talking to them, he's actually engaging with them and having a meal, which is kind of an intimate thing, you, something you spend some time with someone in, in order to do that. And part of the problem was that the Pharisees didn't see any value in these people. They thought, oh, these are just uh, sinners. God's gonna, God ought to smite them and judge them. That was their vibe. You know, God's going to Everything's going to be good when God destroys these people and rewards me for how good I am. <laughs> that was kind of their approach. And so the fact that Jesus was welcoming them really upset them. Like, no, surely God should be crushing these people. They're sinners. 
<laughs> and so the Pharisees have this idea that um, they ought to be rewarded, and this is kind of a no-go zone to love and welcome sinners. Yet Jesus draws near to the sinner. Jesus welcomes them. Do you hope for smiting or rescue when someone annoys you, <laughs> when someone wrongs you? You're like, God, sort them out. <laughs> or God, rescue them. The ministry of Jesus is the heart of rescue. It's like Jesus wants to rescue sinners. Not brush aside their sin, but rescue them. And this is the fundamental difference between the ministry of Jesus and the ministry of the Pharisees, if you want to look at it that way. And so they're grumbling and complaining, um, and they're moving against the sinners where Jesus is moving towards them. And you can always uh, sometimes tell where you're at by whether you are grumbling, or I'm going to make up a word, whether you are joying. Is that a word? Not really. Are you grumbling or joying um, in your interactions with, with those around you? And Jesus uh, was finding, the, the sinners were finding joy in coming to Jesus, but the Pharisees were grumbling and grumbling uh, quite a lot. And so Jesus tells this, these three parables together as a response to what's going on, to a response to this situation where there's this grumbling happening. And he basically unpacks so beautifully how lost people are precious to God. And we'll see by the end of this is that the lost people are actually those who are sinners and the Pharisees who think, and the, the mighty do-gooders who think they're better than everyone. They both need to come to Jesus. This is Jesus' whole point in these parables, that we all need to come to Him. And so, he starts off with the first parable, is the parable of the lost sheep. And he says, you know, what, what if you had a hundred sheep, um, I don't have a hundred sheep, I don't even have one. Um, I don't think I'm allowed one in, in the suburbs, but maybe Steve and Jay up in the farm, if you guys could start collecting sheep, that would be great. And we can film a parable up there. But if you've lost one, if one has wandered off, um, you think of the culture where shepherding um, was, was a way of life. It was your financial, your way to sustain life. And so shepherds would have been in listening to this and they would have gone, yep, I, I've, I've been through that. I, I, know, I know losing a sheep. And it's amazing how when something's lost, there's a search begins for it. It's like, I need to find it. I need to find it. And that's how God feels about the lost. When we, when we are wandering from Him, even in our sin, God said, the Bible says that God loved us even while we were still sinners. Our sin, think about this, attracts God to us. God, or God is attracted by our sin. Not He loves sin, but He loves to, to rescue. There's one lost sheep, and He's like, I need to get to it. That's how the heart of Jesus is for us, that He comes towards the sinner. And so there's a lost sheep. It's wandered off. Um, sheep, I think, are particularly foolish. I don't know if you've spent any time on YouTube. You may have seen... Uh, <laughs> Just uh, have a look around sheep. I've, uh, there's one, one uh, where there's a big ditch. I've seen it. And the sheep runs along. It jumps, 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 falls into the ditch. And the guy goes and he, it's a, like a crevice. And he goes and he reaches down and pulls it out, pulls it out like a big struggle. He gets it out. And three bounds later, it's back in the ditch. Like, oh, it's just full. He's not, they're not smart. They need a lot of help. I'm sorry to say that's like us, right? <laughs> that, that picture, that's you and me. Uh, we always need Jesus to rescue us time and time again. You never graduate from being rescued by Jesus. He rescues us when we put our faith in Him and our trust in Him. He rescues us from death. He defeats sin and death. 
But that's not the end of it. He constantly needs to rescue us. Not just from sin and death, but rescue us from ourselves. <laughs> um, the biggest problem we face is not our circumstance, it's us. We need to be rescued. And so the good shepherd goes after the one sheep that is lost. And he says he finds it and says he, he puts it upon his shoulders, which is a very intimate picture, and he carries it back. Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside the still waters. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. He carries us upon his shoulders. Not only that, but he finds great joy and he finds a sheep and he says, come celebrate. This is a beautiful, beautiful thing. And that's how God sees us. We Isaiah 53 says, we all like sheep have gone astray, each one of us to our own way. And yet the Lord laid upon him all of our sins, all of our iniquities. It is upon Jesus that we are rescued from our sins by Jesus. So this is the first parable of the sheep. The second one is the lost coin. And this is something uh, valuable. Um, some of the sort of commentators will say in that culture, you may have had a, a, a necklace of 10 coins. Uh, coins from your, if you're, if you're married or getting married. Um, so a woman may have had these precious coins which represented her um, pending, her coming marriage or was, even if she was married, it was the symbol of her getting married. And so she's lost one. It's very important to her. And um, I don't know if you've ever, it's also you kind of, something's missing, right? If you've got a necklace with 10 equally spaced <laughs> coins and one falls off, it's like, it doesn't look right anymore, right? It's kind of, something's missing, something's uh, not right. And it's like a puzzle. Have you ever done a thousand-piece puzzle? And you get to the end and there's one piece that someone ate and you can't find it? It's just, ah, oh, it's something, maybe it's just my OCD. There's something very frustrating about not completing the puzzle. And God, in a sense, loves, loves us so much that He wants, wants to bring us close to Him, draw us back to Him. He's, he knows that we're not complete without Him. He sees that we're, you know, we're, we're, we're broken, something's missing, and God wants to make us whole again. He is the source of wholeness, and He is our completion. And so this coin warrants, again, another all-out search, a great rescue, a great search. And, and uh, this lady cleans the house. She lights the lamp, and she begins to clean under the beds and look, where's it rolled? If you've ever dropped a coin, you know it can roll up to seven kilometers. Uh, you'd think it would be by your feet, but it's never there. It's somewhere else. You know, it's almost in another room. So she searches and searches until she finds that, that lost coin. And again, there's great joy. There's such uh, a joy and a and a pleasure and fire. Again, you see the value that the shepherd had for the sheep and this lady had for her missing coin, which is the value which the Pharisees don't have. They're like, you know, why, why bother with these, why bother with sinners? God values sinners. Luke 19, 10, 19 verse 10 says that Jesus, the Son of Man, came to seek and to save that which was lost. The reason Jesus came was to rescue us, a lost people. So God welcomes sinners with joy, but there's a few things, as Anne said, there's some lost things in this chapter. The first one is the one the sheep was lost by foolishness, just wandered off, and sometimes we can be like that. We lost just by foolish choices we've made, 
foolish things we've done and we find ourselves, you know, caught somewhere where we never expected to be. Just foolishness. Jesus, well, Jesus has a rescue for that situation. Maybe you've been lost by no fault of your own. This, the coin didn't do anything. It just got dropped and the, it was kind of someone else's responsibility, but this something happened. A circumstance happened and you feel broken and lost by it. Well, Jesus has a rescue plan for that too. We come to the third parable where the lostness is more willing. It's not, a, not just a, you know, accidental foolishness or so, a circumstantial difficulty. But here we come to a story where this lost son chooses to uh, run away from the father. And maybe you've even been in that, maybe you're even in that position where you are willingly choosing to run from God. Well, God still, Jesus still opens up an invitation and wants to invite you into his joy, into his complete, completeness. There's always hope for rescue. Parable of the prodigal son. There's a man with two sons and the younger brother, we ain't read it so I won't read it again, but the younger brother was not forced to do anything. You know how he gathered up all his things. He said, Father, give me uh, what's due to me. And the father graciously gave it to him. He didn't uh, rebuke him or hold out for him. He said, if I want, and then he's like, I want to leave. He gathers all his things and he leaves. He goes and he's not forced into anything. God does not force us to do things. He's patient and gracious. And what happens is he wanders off, takes everything he has, everything he's been given, and he says, I'm going to go to a faraway place. Why, does he, why do you think he does that? I think it's because he thinks there's something much nicer out there. I'm tired of this being in, the, with this, in this father's house. This doesn't seem very cool. The grass is always greener on the other side, right? That'll be much more satisfying. That'll be heaps better. And so he, I, I want out from my father's will and my father's ways. I want to go because that seems much better. And he goes to a far away place. I wonder if you've ever thought that about a circumstance in your life. Oh, this isn't very good. I, w I wished for something. I wish I was somewhere else. I wish I could go away. I wish I could go to a faraway country. No, the faraway country isn't just a geographic place. It actually starts in our hearts. It begins in our hearts where we want to we want to desire something else because we don't see the beauty of God or the goodness of God. And so he goes away and he, he begins to squander his wealth. It's a well-known story and I was trying to think of examples of how you retell the story and I just couldn't. Has Jesus done such a good job? <laughs> how do you get any better than this? And he's, he's squandering everything and finally he becomes in want. He runs out of everything. In this faraway country, he ends up bro broken and he's run out of uh, all his money. He's run out of his friends. And that's what the faraway country does. It doesn't last forever. We think, oh, life without God is better. And then what happens is slowly we realize it's not. And we sort of come to this moment where oh, things are more broken. I thought it would be better. But no, it's more, it's worse than when I started. And that's what happens to him. He comes right down to the place where he begins to eat from the pigsty. And he's... He's wondering, what am I doing here? 
He comes to the place where the Bible says that he came to his senses. And sometimes it takes a while to get there. Sometimes, come, sometimes struggle and difficulty is a huge blessing to us. Do you know why? Because we come to our senses. We finally realize, actually, I don't want what I thought I did. I want Jesus more than anything else. It's one of the, one of the blessings of struggle. It doesn't make the struggle any easier, but Sometimes with tears we have to say to people, all you have left is Jesus. All you have left is to cling to him. And as difficult as that is, it's also one of the most beautiful things. It wasn't the father's fault that the son ended up like this. It wasn't the older brother's fault that the son ended up like this. And yet God is still a restorer. It was through his many choices, and we know that choices work like that, right? We can choose to do things and they always have consequences you don't go to the gym you don't get fit i can tell you all about that if you know even with our that's with physical health but the same is true with mental health spiritual health we can make choices um, and let our emotions run wild and out of control eventually that begins to take a toll on us we can spew forth negativity, negativity constantly, and that begins to take a toll. These are things that begin to happen to us. Our spiritual health, we can choose to live on Facebook for 18 hours a day. Well, that takes a toll on us. We can choose to give ourselves to habits of grace, things that where build us up, you know, and connect with God. Those are all kind of choices, and what happens is this son had made some really silly choices, but at a certain point, he came to his senses. I don't think we have to wait to rock bottom. God's, God's okay for us to get there, but what, what an what a, a encouragement to come to your senses earlier, right? To not wait till we reach this position. Um, and so the son came to his senses. The next thing he did was he... He realized I'm perishing, and he kind of thought back to the father. He remembered the father. He said, you know what? Even the servants are better off than I am now. Even in my father's house, it is actually good. I do remember the goodness of my father. And realizing his foolishness was unsatisfying and living apart from a father, the memory of his, the goodness of the father brought him back to his senses. You know that we often forget how good God is. We tend to forget that. We go, oh, we, God kind of pushes more and more to the background, and we tend to forget him quite easily. And he returns to the Father. He says, I will get up. Again, it's kind of, there's, you can see there's a will enacting here. I'm not saying we, everything is just dependent on our will. we obviously dependent completely on Jesus. But he says, I will get up. I will go. I will, I will go back to my father. And then he he's makes this whole plan. I will say to him, I'm not worthy to be called your son. So he, he sort of, his newfound uh, awakening, he come, comes to his senses and he goes, yes, let me, let, me, let, me, let me change some things. Let me not stay here and eat. Continue to do this. And you might need to do the same thing in, in your own heart. If physically, mentally, spiritually, what, what, what are the things where you, you just continue in a, in a cycle of feeding from the pig trough? Oh, oh God, let me, let me come to my senses and change something. Change the, 
my habits of, 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 uh, of being with you or the way I speak, the way I even think and the way I uh, interact with people, God, would you help me? Would you rescue me? There's something much more beautiful. And he comes to a sense and he arrives at the Father and the Father is waiting for him. The Father's been looking out every day on the horizon. God's just been there. It hasn't changed. Still the same good God. And he's just waiting, waiting. So come on. And he's, he, he sees him and he begins to run to him. He runs down the road. He sees him coming a long way off. Notice the older brother isn't particularly standing there looking out, you know. The older Pharisee brother, he's just waiting, doing something else. He's not looking for the younger brother at all. But the father is. The father's longing for the son. And he runs and embraces him. I think in Middle Eastern culture it was kind of awkward to uh, run as an older man. As a father figure it was not a bit unseemly. Even to run and to embrace and like that was, he's kind of um, showing his end, of the, his end of the bargain, right? He's like, I'm just love, I'm full of love and excitement. This is great. This son who's humiliated me, took off my property, went away, disgraced the family. You know what my vibe is? I run and adore and just embrace him. Not, I'm going to wait, let's see what he has to say. This guy who kind of, you know, he, <laughs> let's see what he, let's see, let's see what his excuse is. So this is, isn't this an incredible picture of God? No matter how silly we've been, no matter the kind of things we've done and the choices we've made, God, God is, is looking out longing and running towards us. It does take us coming to our senses, yeah? You, you can't carry on eating the pig food and go, yeah, this is the vibe, I'm loving it, I'm going to stay here. The, the Father's still waiting, but in a sense there's a, a repentance and a response. But the moment that happens, the Father is running. He's not waiting for long reasonings or uh, please explain yourself he's just come on come on in son this is the this is the picture of god that is such a different picture that most people have of god if you else most people outside the church they think god is some big angry father in the sky who wants you to do enough good things and then maybe he'll talk to you that is an unbiblical picture of god the biblical picture is of this father who runs towards the lost son and he embraces him and loves him you know uh, deuteronomy 21 said that a son you could punish a son for dishonor even so the, if you're in deuteronomy 21 so the pharisees might even been expecting at this moment of the story oh here comes the son back he's going to cop a punishment and it doesn't happen it doesn't happen at all the Father loves and embraces him. He, in one sense, did deserve a punishment. He had sinned, and he says, Father, I've sinned against you, and I've sinned against God. And this story begins to point us to Jesus, who's our much better older brother. Isn't Jesus a good older brother compared to the older brother we see in this story? Jesus took upon himself the punishment that we deserved. When we come back to God, we don't have to fear punishment. This is an accurate story. And the reason we don't fear any punishment when we come to God is because Jesus took the punishment that was ours upon himself. That's the only reason that we've been set free from what we deserve. Jesus is our much better older brother who was punished in our place. 
And so God is rejoicing greatly. And what happens is the older brother arrives and um, he kind of has a very, very different vibe going on. He's angry. So instead of joy, he's angry. We expect joy in the story because the other two stories had joy, right? The lost sheep's found, the lost coin's found. This story, we're expecting joy, and the older brother doesn't have it. We see it in the father. There's great joy, but not in the older brother. You know that the older brother received, uh, had never, didn't lose any of his inheritance. He was given, uh, well, he still owned well, his, the estate. The older brother was, as the father said, you've always been with me and everything I have is yours. What a statement. How gracious and kind is the, the father to the older brother as well. He's like, everything I have is yours. And he rages and complains against the younger brother. And what does he do? He says, I will not come in to this joyful feast. I will. He's standing outside the feast, again, humiliating the father. The, the, the younger brother had a turn, and now the older brother's having a turn to humiliate the father. You know, you can uh, ignore and run away from God in a few ways. One is just you know, doing whatever you want. The other way is to pretend that you're so good and start to hate everyone around you while, while posing as very good. And you're s still offending God. You're still operating in a completely different manner to how God is. You, you are not reflecting Him at all. You're not uh, uh, living in accordance with His will and His kindness and His goodness. You're also rebelling against God. And this is kind of the picture. This is a big part of this story because it's Jesus speaking it, one to the sinners, but two to the Pharisees who are standing there going, they're kind of realizing that this story is also about them. And this story is often about us. And you might ask, which one do we fit in? Well, I think the answer is just both, right? <laughs> you ever run away from God on purpose? And ever run away from God by pretending you are capable on your own and can do everything and you've got it all good and looking down on others. And the father begins to plead with him, come in, come in. But he preferred his unforgiveness over coming into the joyful celebration. And you can't fake the joy, right? He was genuinely angry about how God was so kind and loving. You can't fake this kind of joy. Uh, he just want, didn't do it. He wanted to stay outside. You He's now, oddly enough, as close to the feast as he's ever been, and yet he is the brother who is far, far away. He's far, far away from the Father. And so you can be very religious. He says, I've done everything you asked of me. I, I did everything, Father, you said. And yet he's obeyed everything, and yet he's actually the brother now that is far, far away. And he's upset because this younger brother has come close very quickly. And the father graciously continues to invite him, come on in, come in, come in. You know, God is always enough. That invitation from God is whatever your circumstance, whatever your situation, if you need a rescue, come on in. If you need to be redeemed, come on in, get rescued. You can hold on to your anger like the older brother did. You can hold on to your sin like the younger brother was doing up until a certain point and then he came to his senses. But you can hold on to these things and not come in to a rescue. 
There's a rescue being in, that God, Jesus invites us into, and God is always inviting us into. And you go, Josh, isn't that just too simplistic? Oh, you know, Jesus is enough. Well, that's a bit trite. I wish it was trite, but it's actually the simple gospel. Jesus is enough. Not diminishing any circumstance. We've all been through many and various difficult circumstances. But is Jesus enough? Do I actually believe that part of the gospel? It you know when Jesus is not enough? When we stay angry like the older brother, when we stay in the pigsty. That's when, Je that's when it's very trite. Because actually what's going on is we're holding on to everything going, you don't understand my circumstance. You don't understand my pain. You don't understand all these things. Jesus isn't really enough. That's a trite statement. I want to tell you this morning, the invitation and sufficiency of Jesus is enough. It might sound trite to you, but it is. If you will let go, if you will come to your senses, he is a beautiful father, and he is more than enough. So the young brother was a servant and a slave who came back to sonship. The older brother was a son who remained in, with a servant's mentality. Jesus was the son who became a servant to serve and rescue us. The younger brother went from uh, ro um, rags to robes. The older brother was robed, but living as if he was in rags. Jesus robes us in his righteousness. He places on us the robe of righteousness. The younger brother was far, but he came near. The older brother was near, but he was far. Jesus comes near to those who are far off. The younger brother went from a bucket to a buffet. The older brother refused to come into the buffet. There is a buffet. Jesus provides the most incredible buffet of all we need. The, old, the younger brother went from sorrow to joy. The older brother refused joy. Jesus, for the joy set before him, provided all we need and brought us real joy. The younger brother disobeyed the father. The older brother obeyed the father, but disliked the father. Jesus is the brother who delighted to do God's will, delighted to obey. The younger brother went from shame to joy and felt the forgiveness of God, of the father. The older brother remained in unforgiveness and anger. Jesus has joy in forgiving us. The younger brother could have been punished. The older brother wanted to punish <laughs> other people. Jesus has the joy of bearing our punishment for us. The younger brother came to his senses. The older brother could not see clearly. Jesus is the clear wisdom of God. The younger brother was loved. The older brother was loved. Jesus is love. The younger brother was dead and he came to life, it says. The older brother seemed still dead while alive. He remained outside the feast. Jesus moves us from death to life.
as I conclude here, Jim, I'm going to hand back to you for communion in a moment. But the end of this parable says that he was dead and now he's alive. He was dead, but now he's alive. God moves us from death to life. Those who believe on Jesus do not get the death we deserve, but we move into life. Dead and alive, it's not that we are t dead. We still get to respond to God. That's why we're still responsible. When you're, when you're dead, uh, in, in a dead, dead sense, you can't do anything, right? In this parable, the brother was dead, but he came back to God, came back to life through um, his repentance. If you've heard the gospel, you've heard that Jesus calls us to himself to believe upon Jesus, then all you can do is trust in Jesus. You can trust in Jesus. That's your part. Everything else belongs to him. He will bring you back to life. Even Ephesians 2 talks about this. It says, we were dead in our transgressions while we walked in our sin. There's a dead person walking in Ephesians 2. I don't know if you remember that. <laughs> he was doing something. He was carrying on a sin. And that's why God holds us accountable for what we do. He was walking. He says, but God, who is what? Rich in mercy, rescued and saved us. You know, God makes dead things alive unrepentant sinners who are dead in their transgressions, God can make you alive if you respond to him. But also in our own lives, we might be walking in some things which are not helpful to us. God wants to make us alive again. He has great joy in rushing towards us, coming towards us. It's the Father's delight. It's Jesus' delight to rescue and come towards us. The dead are made alive. And it's God's great joy to do it. Jesus' great joy to do it. Thanks, Jim. Why don't you take us through communion?